Mini episode 1554 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1554. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris coming at you and a real treat breaking down baseball here. This is the most regular baseball panel that we have had the last couple of years. Here's a, sort of a throwback to the old Life's a Pitch with Ken Detweiler days at the old Sports Talk Network. Uh, this is a three-way uh, panel that we have done. Uh, and generally, we would have done the World Series uh, preview and review as well, but Steve Callis graciously uh, making way for his podcast partner, Joe Stazak, to come in. Stazak being a Philly guy, we were able to get his analysis on the Phillies going into and coming out of the World Series. So I definitely wanted to do this panel. Ken Detweiler, Steve Callis, and uh, I dare say, uh, I'm just going to go right right out there and say it. I don't think you're going to find a better three-man panel to talk baseball anywhere. And uh, it's always a pleasure and privilege to get these guys in here. And uh, I alluded to, of course, uh, the show where I started as a sidekick at the old Sports Talk Network, Life's a Pitch with Ken Detweiler, along with our friend, the late great Don Coster, my good friend Ken Detweiler, coming in to talk baseball. We're going to be doing a little bit of a review of the season, just sort of thoughts from you know 50,000 feet. We're not going to get super in-depth, but we'll touch on some things from both leagues and uh, the early part of the, uh, the off-season here, the Hot Stove League, so... Uh, Ken Detweiler, always a great guy to do that with. My friend, how you doing, Kenny D? I'm doing great, and it's great to have Steve back in the saddle with us again. And uh, he was he was missed, but uh, uh, I just like I mentioned before we got on the air here, Rick. This is like Christmas for me. You've got the winter meetings coming up. You've got a real hot stove season this year, which we haven't had in years, and we've got the Hall of Famer people that are going to be put into the Hall of Fame here. So, and I've got my people with that too, but let's just get after it. Oh, absolutely. And you're right. Having the CBA being instituted this year, it gave us the certainty going forward uh, that we didn't have the last couple of years for the Hot Stove League. Now we know what the economic system is going to be the next couple of years. Now we are past all the COVID issues that were around in 2020 and 2021 and some that lingered into this year. And uh, hopefully even the ones that were there this year won't be a part of next year. But for all of that and much, much more, our good friend Steve Callis, of course, from the Callis Remarks podcast with Joe Stazak, of course, WestchesterCountyPost.com sports editor. Always a pleasure to get you back in, Steve. Thanks so much for being here. Hey, it's a pleasure for me to be with you two guys as always. Really looking forward to it. And uh, at the outset here, uh, let's not waste any time. You mentioned uh, off-air here that uh, you had a very interesting story that you wanted to get to, and uh, you didn't even want to tip any details to Ken and myself. So I have no idea where you're going, which just makes it all the more fun to anticipate what this is going to be. <laughs> I 
I'm, 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 di I'm directing your attention to September 27th, 2022, a day that will live in infamy, in my opinion, where Marlins pitcher Richard Blyer was called for three balks in one at bat against the New York Mets at City Field. Jeff McNeil was on first. Blyer was pitching to Pete Alonso. Got to be careful with him. And the first base umpire, John Tumpane, T-U-M-P-A-N-E, whose name I think will live in infamy, called on three consecutive pitches, three consecutive balks. McNeil scored from first. I don't think Pete Alonso gets an RBI. But it was the strangest thing I've ever seen. I've never, it's never happened before, and I say it'll never happen again. And this was the old didn't come to a full stop rule. And the didn't oh. come to a full stop rule has been messed with for decades and decades. Yeah. And I watched them, and I even I even watched a replay earlier today of the Met announcers, and they were like, well, maybe it was a bar, but I've seen a lot worse than that. And it just got ridiculous. As you may recall, Mattingly and Blyer got thrown out of the game because uh, you can't argue a balk like you can't argue a called strike. And I just want to say one thing about the balk rule, and I know Coach Detweiler will get a kick out of this. <laughs> so when I was a little kid, I was a junk balling left-hander. As my father, minor league catcher for two years before he went into World War II, would say, Steve, your best pitch is your pickoff move. And yeah. that was no knock on me. I couldn't throw hard. I had a great curveball. The pickoff move was really my second best pitch. But the rule of the balk is intended to, quote, prevent the pitcher from deceiving the runner and potentially picking him off. Now, both of you guys know the exact reason is you're 100% trying to deceive the runner. Otherwise, you'd never pick anybody off. So right. it was always That's a right. stupid rule from the get-go. This guy, in his 304th Major League Baseball appearance, had never been called for a balk. He pitched in the league seven or eight years, 308 appearances, and he was called for three balks in one at bat. Forget one inning or one game, in one at bat. I say that'll never happen again, and I'll say it's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in baseball. Well, counselor, I'm gonna no. I'm gonna ask this in the form of a question, so I can't be hit for defamation. But uh, <laughs> would would it be improper for me to wonder if perhaps this ump, maybe in the pro, in these days of a proliferation of gambling, might have had a prop bet on uh, Jeff McNeil scoring a run that night and just wanted to make sure? So I mean, just. Oh, oh. I, I don't know if it went that far, and the joke of it all is, so Jeff McNeil scored, it, he made the game 6-4, and this was when the Mets were collapsing, as yes. you both know. Um, yeah. But uh, he gave up that run, it was 6-4, to four, and the Marlins won the game 6-4. to four. I mean, <laughs> so, so if he was, Rick, if he was getting down, unless he had that specific, Jeff McNeil scores a run, yeah. uh, he got beat. <laughs> well, that is yeah. incredible, and i got to ask you, Ken, because, look, yes. if you'd have put a gun to my head and said, guess where Steve's going with this, I would have had to say pull the trigger. I can't imagine you would have had that one guessed as far as where he was going. No way. I, I found out I have a uh, a kindred soul with Steve because I had forgot that he was a lefty, and I was kind of a lefty, just a taller version of uh, jump ball pitcher. I would, I would emulate uh, Ted Abernathy's sidearm when there was left wow. coming up. And then, yep. then I'd do Juan Marichal when I would just try to do all kinds of as my as my grandkids would call me trickeration, uh, you know, just to get through. But you're absolutely right, Steve. As soon as a guy got on base, I would love to walk the guy rather than pitch to him because I could pick him off. I got a couple moves. 
And uh, so your dad was right. Well, so. the funny thing is about the commonality between us here, not a pitcher, and I never made it off of the sandlots of youth baseball, but a uh, one of the rarest of birds, a lefty catcher in my case. So wow. uh, three lefties here on this show. And uh, very interesting uh, at, at that here. And, uh, yeah, I, I loved uh, anticipating where you were going to go with that, wow. uh, Steve. And it, uh, it did live up to the uh, – uh, to the anticipation of it, but uh, wanted to take a look. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And, it's, uh... and that's unheard of. I and I can see why it's never happened before because that just that what was that umpire thinking? What an idiot! Right. Uh, but, exactly. Oh, well. And uh, so uh, I'm thinking here uh, we'll, we'll get some notes from each of the two leagues. Uh, some just some general thoughts that we had from this past season. We'll touch on anything you guys want to get into with the postseason awards and the beginning of the Hot Stove League as far as uh, additionally any predictions that uh, you guys might have with that as well. With the American League, I'll start it off here. A couple of surprises to me. Uh, in the Central Division, uh, certainly uh, Cleveland uh, surging the way that they were able to. That was due in large part to two colossal disappointments this year, uh, the White Sox and then uh, Detroit. I actually uh, thought this was the year Detroit could step up and make the playoffs. Boy, was I wrong. And uh, there were some other surprises in the American League uh, as well. Uh, Boston being a last-place team in the East, didn't see that one coming, didn't have that on my 2022 bingo card. But uh, Baltimore being a strong fourth-place team, I, I think I'm going to say this right now, call my shot. This is the beginning of a run for them because they have uh, arguably the best farm system in the game right now, and they started bringing up some of the young guys this year. So... Baltimore, I think, was a little bit ahead of schedule, but I think they're going to be able to uh, sustain it. Uh, ultimately, the teams that were in the championship series, Houston and the Yankees, no surprise there. A lot of us probably had that kind of penciled in, but uh, as far as the ups and downs of, of the teams in the league, uh, things I expected and didn't expect, that was kind of how I saw it. So, Ken, I'll start by throwing it to you. Uh, any thoughts that you had from the American League this year? Yeah, well, I, I'm looking, I kind of took a different uh, thing on it. Um, okay, good. A different, a different look, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I, I saw a couple teams that I'm thinking this coming year, because this is the hot stove season, that, for example, Cleveland, and I'm pumped, and I'm, you know, tooting our own horn over here finally. Mm -hmm. uh, the Guardians, four gold glovers. They've got defense coming back this year. They've got speed. They've got pitching. But they need to pick up a couple people. Uh, Baltimore, like you had already alluded to, Boston looks like five pounds of poop in a two-pound bag. <laughs> yes, because they've lost four out of the last four out of the last five years. They finished in last place. Yeah. in their division. Uh, as far as the Toronto Blue Jays, they just brought Maddenly on as a bench coach, which I was like scratching my head and raising an eyebrow and thinking, hmm. So these guys must be must be loading up too. And two teams, and then I'll stop here uh, in the Western Division, that I'm really keeping an eye on in 23, and that is the Los Angeles Angels and the Texas Rangers. Yep. And I know it's a tough division, but the Mariners in there and the Astros, that's pretty much it. I just really think what the Angels are doing, and I know it's early, Angels and the Rangers, but uh, I think they really can make some noise. 
Well, and I'll tell you, L.A. is a real stars and scrubs town, is it not? You look at the Angels, you look at the Rams, you look at the Lakers. I mean, it's a, it's a common motif <laughs> out there for those franchises to be stars and scrubs. And I said coming into this year, I felt like the Chargers were somewhat of that as well. And I think you're seeing that play mm-hmm. out additionally. So yeah. I, I'm not sure if that's a coincidence or not that all of those teams have that. But the Angels are definitely one of them, no doubt about it. And they, they continue to be. Uh, you know, with, with high-priced, uh, you know, megastars and then, uh, you know, just utter kind of, uh, you know, guano at the bottom of their uh, lineup and roster. But uh, how, how do you see it this year, uh, Steve, for your thoughts on uh, the American League and anything that really kind of grabbed your attention? Well, I certainly looked at the Angels and the Rangers before this year, but the reason I eliminated them is the reason you eliminated them for the last few years, and that was pitching, pitching, pitching. I mean, the Rangers paid a fortune to get that middle infield, yep. and and that helped. And the Angels, frankly, you know what the big question is. Is Otani going to stay? Otani is now on record as saying, I want to win. Yep. Can Mike yeah. Trout talk Otani? And now what I will say is, who's the guy they got from the Nationals? Was it Rendon, I think? Yes, the third Rendon. baseman from the National. Yep. So I thought before the year they'd have the best two, three, four. Trout, Rendon, Otani, sure. Trout, Otani, Rendon. Uh, probably that way, lefty, righty, lefty, righty. But Rendon got hurt and missed virtually the whole year. And, and you know, Trout, who's still Trout when he came back, but he had that mystery back injury and he missed a lot of time. And some doctors were saying he's not going to play again. And Trout was like, that's ridiculous. And he came back a week later. And, you know, winds up hitting 40 home runs because he's Mike Trout. But the only guy in the Angels pitching staff this year who had more than 150 innings pitched last year was Otani. Yeah. And so they're yeah. really going to, they're really going to, I think I heard the Rangers are in the hunt for DeGrom. And, yep. you know, they seem to have the manager who will pay, I mean, the owner who will pay anything yeah. as do the Angels. But the question still right now today, to me, for both of those teams, is will they get the pitching? As far as the Red Sox, I don't know what happened to the Red Sox. I think it might be the ghost of Theo Epstein now that he's been gone, you know, four or five years or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a question, are they even going to sign Bogarts? If they don't do that, they're just becoming another bad team in a really good division. The thing that was most impressive to me about the Orioles is look at the division that they were in, and they were in the playoff hunt up to the last two weeks of the year. So I agree with you, Rick, that they're like a factor to be reckoned with next year. Yes. And as for the Indians, I'll just say this. Didn't Francona get manager of the year? Yes, he did. Deserved it. I mean, that's an incredible job with an incredibly young team, and the arrow's only going to point up for them because they got the right manager, and they got the right young group, and now I think you're right, maybe next year, in a not very good look. I think Tony La Russa, we all thought it was weird, because what, Reinsdorf wanted to bring him back because he made a mistake, what, 30 years ago? Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, it was, like, it was like in the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and that's how he wound up with the Astros, uh, with the Athletics, I think. But um, he just wasn't fit for the job. He was had weird press conferences. Uh, I... I I'm sad he's leaving because of health reasons, but I think it's probably a good idea for him to have left. But, yeah, I thought Chicago more than Detroit. I I root against Detroit because of A.J. Hinch. Like, I root against the Astros. (laughs) Like, I root against (laughs) (laughs) Cora. You know, these guys, nobody... against the Astros. Yeah. Nobody paid... Look, nobody paid... I I picked (laughs) the Astros with Joe to win the World Series in six. I told them I didn't want to do it publicly, but I did because they were the best team. But the notion that they're a dynasty when they had that first one, which would be questionable at best, um, I think is ridiculous. But in t- 
terms of next year, you know, I, I unfortunately agree with the notion that right now the Astros are the favorite if they sign Verlander, and I guess we'll get into that later when we talk about free agents. But, sure. um, you know, Pena made everyone forget Carlos Correa. Where's he? He's lost in Minnesota, and now maybe he might go somewhere else. But um, it was like he didn't exist. This guy played better than Correa. He was the MVP of the yeah. World Series and the ALCS, by the way. I don't know how many times that's happened, but this guy was an unbelievable find. Who, by the way, hit two fifty three in the regular season, but was totally the MVP of the entire playoffs and the MVP of the World Series. Yeah, he uh, had an incredible run there, no question about it. Uh, turning to the National League, it's in looking at this, uh, I, I felt like maybe there were slightly less surprises than in the American League. At, uh, I, I think that everybody knew, I think, coming into the year in one form or fashion that uh, the Braves and Mets would be 1-2 in the East and fighting it out for a chance to go deep into the playoffs. I, I think what would be a surprise is if you would have said the third-place team, the Phillies, will be the ones to win the pennant. But uh, that, <laughs> yeah. that ended up yeah. playing out. And I did get an obligatory note in uh, during our World Series preview uh, that I'm sure you were probably disapproving. Steve Callis, that uh, team that was third place in its own division, ended up uh, winning a pennant. So I, I gave you a shout-out for what I was uh, <laughs> assuming was your take. Uh, the rest of the league, the, the only real surprise to me was the Dodgers distancing themselves from the rest of the league to the extent that they did. 111 wins. 110 plus is very rare in baseball history. Uh, the, the Dodgers, every year, the last you know, at least five or six years with the way that they have really loaded up on talent, you know that they, probably going back to uh, 2017 at least when they won the pennant that year, you know that the Dodgers have a chance to have a year like that. It just so rarely happens. Now, the year before, I think it was like 106 wins, but still second in the West to San Francisco. But the degree to which they distanced themselves from the rest of the league, a little bit of a surprise to me. It ends up being all for naught in the playoffs there as they can't even get past uh, little brother San Diego, who ends up uh, taking them out. So uh, I'll, I'll start with you again here, uh, Ken. Your, your thoughts on uh, an interesting year in the National League? Yeah, um... Again, I'll start. I'll, I'll start with the Central, and I'll go. I'm. I'm just going to pick the Cardinals because there's nobody else that's got the, the kids. It's like little leaguers playing on the Cubs, the Reds, the, the Brewers. What in God's name are the Brewers doing? I mean, yeah, I, I scratch my head almost weekly about that kind of stuff. I mean, these guys are just. I mean, I'm sure they've got their ideas and they got everything a lot more stats than I ever thought about, but I'm sitting here thinking, my gosh, they're getting rid of good ballplayers, and the Pirates are the Pirates. So, I mean, here again, just put them in, a, put them in there, and now you got a five-team division. But uh, Cardinals in that division. In the East, I'm looking at the uh, Braves, uh, but and the Phillies. But are the Phillies going to even come back? I see weaknesses there, too. The Marlins are the Marlins until they play the Indians. Uh, and they win a couple World Series, um, <laughs> and then the Nationals. I mean, they're they're bottom feeders now too, just like the old Washington teams used to be way back 50, 60, 70 years ago. I mean, Washington's always been like, eh, except for a rare occasion. And the Mets. May, can anybody tell me what is wrong with the Mets? They spend, they spend, they spend, and then they very and they've won. Believe me, more World Series than Cleveland has ever done uh, in recent memory. But are they just jinxed? Are they just, you know, they root, their fans are great, but, geez, at the end of the day, it's like, hey, 
we have some lovely parting gifts for you guys. Thank you. I question that. I question how the roster kind of fits together because, you know, they, they have gotten an owner, and I am jealous of this. They did finally get an owner that will spend money. But it's a thing where just going out and you, you get the available pieces, right? It's whoever's available at a given time. But I, I just wonder uh, how the roster construction kind of goes and if it's a little bit of stars and scrubs there uh, as well with them. Maybe not as much as some teams, certainly not nearly as much as the Angels. But I think there's a little bit of it there. And, uh, yeah, I will say this. The Central Division in both leagues I think the technical term is an oven full of boiling caca because it's just yeah. the worst, yes. the dirt worst. It's it's just the central in both leagues is embarrassing. It's just I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to change that next year. Probably not much, maybe a little bit around the margins. But uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, uh, Steve, uh, or yeah. uh, certainly I know you will for the National League as a whole. Well, I think Ken's right about the Cardinals because whatever they have in that division to trot out Goldsmith and Arenado back-to-back, I mean, they might be the best 2-1-2 combination in the major leagues based on performance this year. They were actually both MVP candidates, Yes. even though Goldsmith, I think, deserved it and won it. So whatever else happens there, I think those two guys are good enough to carry them next year. And I think Wainwright's coming back from another, for another year. I think I read that somewhere. And, you know, he was okay this year. They set that record for all-time battery mates, right? So I, I think the Cardinals are locked there. I want to talk briefly about the Dodgers because the last five times the Dodgers have set their all-time winning record in the season, including this season, and it goes back to 1972, I want to say, when they lost to the A's in the World Series. Right, that was the beginning of the A's winning three in a row. Well, the last five times they've set their record for most wins in a the season, they have not won the World Series. Wow. So just based on that alone, I did that with Joe, I think, when I found that out right before um, the playoffs started. But um, they they just didn't deserve it, in my opinion. I still think Clayton Kershaw, at best, is an average postseason pitcher. They lost uh, Bueller, I think, to an arm injury. Yep. Um, so I wasn't shocked when they lost. Um, as for the Mets, and I'll say this, Ken, as a Yankee fan, when you're in New York, yeah. you just say, yeah, the same old Mets. It's the Mets. What do you expect? Old Mets. the Mets. And yeah. I said on the air, if DeGrom is healthy and Scherzer is healthy, that they can win the whole thing. But yet they couldn't win in that three-game Atlanta Braves set like the week before the season ended when they had the monumental collapse. And oh, by the way, they couldn't win in the playoffs either. So... Well. If you have those studs losing, and this assumes I don't even know if DeGrom's coming back. We'll talk about that later, I guess. But um, as for the Mets, to us, they're just they're just the Mets. And they, Now, Lindor did have a Lindor year, finally, after being terrible the year before. I think I was like fourth in the National League and RBI, or in the Major Leagues and RBIs. I mean, right. give them credit. Maybe it took them a year. You know, you come to New York, it's a different deal, as you guys know. But um, sure. I, I think Ken is right. They're loaded with talent, and then you go... What happened? <laughs> right. Well, they took it. I mean, Steve and Rick, the Mets, I've never seen a collapse like this in a long, long time. I mean, yeah. my gracious, they went wire to wire until it was like, oh, now we have to play for something. You know, I don't know what happened there. I mean, can anybody explain that to me? Yeah, well, the explanation is they're the Mets. That's the explanation in New York. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. right. Okay, you did tell me that. Just a little well, bit ago, actually. Ken, <laughs> Ken. And I will say, if I could say about the Phillies, Joe Girardi, 22 and 29, the guy who like ran out his welcome, I think, in Chicago, right, after one year or something. I mean, 
I never thought he was a great manager with the Yankees. I thought he was fortunate they bought the World Series in 2009. I'll be the first to admit that. You know, they got CC Sabathia and Teixeira and the other good pitcher. I can't remember who it was, but they bought that World Series. And now I think Aaron Boone is the same way. I don't think he's great shakes. Meanwhile, Rob Thompson's a lifer. He was he was Girardi's right hand man with the Yankees for all those years. And to give yeah. him the opportunity, I was so happy. But I, you are right about me, Rick. 87 wins third place. I remember the year the Mets were 83 and 79. 1973. Yes. They were 83 and 79. Four games over 500. And they took the Athletics to Game 7 of the World Series. Yeah. So... I'm just not cool with those things. Once upon a time, if you were 83 and 79, they say, oh, you're above 500, go get them next year. Yeah. Or even the Phillies today, 87, so they were six, they were 12 games over 500. Yeah, that's pretty good. You came in third, you can build on that for next year. But the way it is now, and this is all about money, my complaint about both leagues will be they added the team to the playoffs. And this is all about money, 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 money. Well, and, yeah. And I hate that. And we have to look. It's in football now. I was watching the Still Alive and the whatever AFC East, and they had guys with four and seven records. Right. Here's a newsflash to me. If you're four and seven, right. you shouldn't be able to make the playoffs, even if you win your last six. There should be a rule. Of course, there'll never be, but it's always NBA is worth seven through ten. Oh, if we can only get to the tenth spot, anything can happen. No, anything can happen, right. especially in the NBA. But right. I digress. But that's, you know, congratulations to Rob Thompson. And, you know, it's the best team at the end of the year right. now. And once upon a time when it was just two pennant winners, it was, you know, yeah. you could argue it was just playing better than that. Right. But it was two pennant winners. If you lost the World Series, you had a good year. Well, and I'll say this uh, too, Ken. This, this ought to be understandable to you about the Mets. Because what was said about the Mets, same old Mets. I mean, same old Browns, yeah. right? We should understand same old in this town, uh, being on the North Coast. It's the same old Browns as well. So, yeah. you know, that's, uh, that's an understandable uh, concept, I believe. Uh, all right, thoughts on the postseason awards? Anything that really kind of jumped out? I'll start with you this time, Steve. Yeah, well, I just wanted to talk about Jeff McNeil. I love Jeff McNeil. He's a real hustle player. He's a real good player. But... On the last day of the season, he's decided to sit out because he was ahead of Freddie Freeman. I think Freddie Freeman was like 320, 321. Jeff McNeil was 326. But they literally showed him watching at bats. He watched uh, Freddie Freeman go one for one, two for two, three for three, and then he was getting worried because he might have to, if he goes four for four, he's got to get in the bat. But Freeman, and I think he hit a long fly ball to deep center, by the way. I saw the at bat. It was almost a home run. But he went three for four, so Jeff McNeil did not have to bat. I thought it was Bush League. We, we always heard the legendary Ted Williams, 1941. His average was 399.6. So if he stopped that last doubleheader, he would have hit 400. He played both games of the doubleheader. He went four for five in the first game and two for three in the second. They took him out in the eighth inning. So he went six for eight, and that's why he hit 406. Yeah. So I kind of look at it, and again, I love Jeff McNeil, but I will say this. I looked up Freeman. The three games before he went three for four, he was 0 for 12. So he must have been ahead of McNeil by five or six or eight points. So maybe if he had sat out the last four games, he would have won the batting title. And I just think that's a bad way to win it. The yeah. only other thing I want to comment on postseason is the notion that Shohei Otani should somehow have been considered to get the MVP award over Aaron Judge was a total joke. Love Otani. He's doing things that nobody but Babe Ruth ever did. And you can argue he's doing them better now than Babe Ruth ever did because when he went to the Yankees, he obviously became solely a hitter and not a pitcher. One of the best lefties of all time, if you look at his World Series marking. 
as a right. lefty for the Red Sox. But Otani should maybe get the MOP. He got the MVP last year. They won like 73 games. He didn't. Get, he got two first place votes this year. Judge got the other 28. And they won uh, 79 games this year. So I'm sorry. To me, you can't be the MVP of the league. And you can tell me about Ernie Banks. I get it. They were terrible. But he was the MOP. He wasn't the MVP. You can tell me about A-Rod on the Texas Rangers. He was the MOP. He shouldn't have gotten the MVP. And I think Otani last year, as great as he was, maybe you can give it to him last year because it was such a strange thing. But this year, when a guy like Judge has the season that he had, there should have been no talk about Shohei Otani. Although, I'll say it again, what he's doing is beyond incredible. I do honestly believe both of those guys, Judge and Otani. I, I would have given it to Judge, but I, I think it's a shame that either one of them had to lose it because I think both of them had absolutely historic type seasons here. Uh, Ken, any thoughts on your part about the uh, postseason awards? Well, I'm going to differ a little bit about Otani because, uh, as we all agree, he's doing stuff that we'll never, ever see again. True. And we've never seen before. Yes. At this, at this caliber. And so, he's the MVP in my mind. I'm not trying to start any trouble here or anything. <laughs> I'm just saying that the way I look at it, who's better? And I know Judge did have had a tremendous year. So, but I'll go back to the Cleveland Guardians, and it pains me to say that, because, but one thing on, they have six people nominated for gold gloves. Right. Four of them received the gold glove. They had the youngest team ever in the major leagues. Again, Francona has been awesome. They ought to build a statue for him uh, when he leaves here in Cleveland. It's, if you want to forget about the Indians, and a lot of people are still chewing on that bone here in Cleveland, and Cleveland fans around the country, that uh, you can forget about them. At the first year that they're called the Guardians, they go into the playoffs and take the Yankees on and uh, and beat the Tampa Bay Rays. And it's just like, wow. But they need to add some sticks. I think they still have banjo hitters up and down their line. Absolutely. Stephen yeah. Kwan. I got more power than Stephen Kwan, Ken Detweiler. Yeah, but you know, he... I don't know if he ended up getting more hits than Kenny Lofton did in his first year or not. Yeah, he did. But, uh, he did, but I, so. I think there, there's only room for one slappy in the outfield, so I think Miles Straw is going to have to give ground there. I think they're going to end up moving Quan, and Quan won't be as good in center field, but the difference by getting a legitimate bat in left field, I think, is what they're going to need. So, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, they, they need some sticks. They, I was hoping they would get it, and that's why I like the Angels. Because they picked up Hunter Renfro. Yeah. Um, they need a stick, and they need an outfielder. Miles Straw, please. They gave him a raise. I know. I know. They, they picked. I have my. I got. I've got to have my hand out. I want a raise too. Well, come on. It, You're it, gonna it, pay me for nothing. <laughs> Well, here's a here's a nice inside reference, uh, Ken. Uh, hopefully, you can do some uh, lobbying from within here, okay? And maybe I try and get some results. Ah. You'll, you'll you'll be my hero if you can. If if you can have any uh, effects there on uh, lobbying from I'll, within. I'll see. Yeah. I'll see your favorite owner here around Christmas time again. So maybe <laughs> that that whole that whole story about. You picking up the check is one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. That is still one yeah. of my favorites of all time. And I won't yeah. repeat it hey, here. Dola. Hey, Dola, don't, 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 uh, I got the check here. Give us a stick. <laughs> that is, that is just amazeballs. That's one of my favorite stories ever. It, uh, as, as we start to bring this full circle, 
Uh, let's take a look ahead to uh, next year, the starts of it here anyways with Hot Stove. I'll stay with you uh, here at the start, uh, Ken. Any early thoughts on Hot Stove League? You know, I'm hearing that uh, Verlander is talking to, uh, and talk about the ancient mariner, uh, with Rain, Wayne Wright and these guys. He's talking to the Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of another head-scratcher. Uh, again, I'm hearing... Correa going back to the Cubs, I'm thinking, really? So, and there's a, there's a brand new, there's, there's several ones. And, that, and guys, that's what makes this really, really fun for me. And I'm sure you guys being baseball fans, yep. that you are. And all three of us left-handers. That's, that's right. Really, I don't know how the, where that goes, or people can mm, on <laughs> us. But, you know, I think Cody, Cody Bellinger should go to Colorado and, uh, and get his swing back and get his batting averages up and then go back as a free agent again. Um, yep. And Michael Brantley, yeah. Is he going to go to St. Louis, Houston? I mean, you know, this is the fun for me. I don't know about you guys, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I see San Francisco has a pile of money and I don't think this is going to happen, but wouldn't it be something if Judge did go back out to San Francisco. But he's got to have players around him, though. Yep. There's been speculation right about now, that. Yeah, there's been constant speculation. I'll believe it when I see it as far as the Yankees getting outbid. I think they're going to come in pretty strong on this. Yes. Uh, so we'll we'll bring it around full circle for a segment with you. Steve, any of your thoughts on Hot Stove? Yeah, well, I'll speak on Judge quickly. He went to San Francisco. He's visited with the Giants, and he's from that area. So I yep. think he was so... Uh, angry that they offered him a seven-year, I think it was $213 million extension on top of what he was making. Yeah. And what he was making, they even had a spitting contest, you'll recall, between the $17 million they wanted to pay him and the $21 million he wanted. And I think they actually settled at 19 If he's one of those guys who holds a grudge, and then he goes out, of course, and hits 62 homers, but really carried the Yankees when they were horrific for that time that they were oh. horrific. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility... If deep inside he's like, man, I hate this, but New York's New York, he's the king here, and um, I think you're right that Ken, I think Ken said that they're not going to, the Yankees will not be outbid, but the question will be, does that matter to Judge? Because now he wanted Trout money apparently before the season, and I would have said he's not worth Trout money, and I don't even know that he's worth Trout money now. But guess what? I think he can demand it off the season he had, and you know how these things are. He's going to be 31 in April. So those seven, eight-year contracts he's going to get and want and probably get, you automatically write off the last few years of those contracts. It's like Orlando, it's like Cabrera, Miggy, Love. You know, I mean, it's like those contracts. Uh, I also just want to talk about briefly DeGrom, who will be 35 next June. But DeGrom, and I'll throw Verlander in the same, Verlander's 38. Um, They're both looking at, who are they looking at? Max Scherzer, three years. 43 million a year. That's what Verlander is going to be looking for. And I think DeGrom is going to be looking for that, but even more years because I think Scherzer right now, you can almost count on them better, although Verlander during the regular season was incredible. But as you know, he finally got his first World Series win uh, in game five. He's like one and six with over five ERA. And he was terrible in the first game. They got him out uh, out of the loss because... I think he gave up five runs and the game got tied right, right. before Real Mudo, 
I think, hit that home run. Right. So I think these guys are going to look for money. You know, we're all old enough to remember. I remember when I was a kid, you know, and you rooted for the players. And I think it was Koufax and Drysdale held out for like 125000 each. Oh, those greedy pigs. And Joe DiMaggio <laughs> used to get booed. And Mickey Mantle won the Triple Crown, and they offered him like a $10,000 raise or something. And you just shake your head now if you have a Scherzer worth $43 million. Don't tell me he's worth every penny because, A, they didn't win. And B, I don't think any player is worth forty-three million. But get what? Guess what? I think Otani the following year, when we talk about him, he'll be looking at fifty million a year. He very well oh, might be. No, no question about it. If yeah. anybody's worth it, he would be. I want to say here, as we uh, go full circle on this, uh, I want to give uh, an R.I.P. to the legendary Gaylord Perry, uh, an F.D.H. Lounge guest, and uh, it's hard to believe. Uh, the last of the shows we ever did at the Sports Talk Network, episode 152, Gaylord Perry, Road Warrior Animal, Joe Laurinaitis, Dan Walden, they've all passed on. It's hard to believe. Oh, uh, and Gaylord Perry made it the longest of them, and he was the oldest, I think, by far. So uh, RIP to him. And, uh, again, want to thank you both uh, for being a part of this segment here. Ken Detweiler, thank you so much, sir. You bet. And I wanted to second that with Gaylord Perry. I told you I was saying McDowell was my hero, number 48 yep. in your program, number one of the hearts of my fans, or his fans, rather. November 29th, 1971, I read a paper in my little town of Seville where I grew up. Frank Duffy, Gaylord Perry traded for Sudden Sam, and I was devastated at the yeah. time. Hard to... But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all those years ago, man, but uh, it, it ended up uh, being... Uh, a very notable oh. chapter, no question about it, the way that it went down. Uh, great that you brought yeah. that up. Uh, Steve Callis, yeah, all, thank all you. Of fa- Hall of Fame, Gaylord Perry. Hall of Fame, baby. He was uh, amazing, and uh, what a character. What an amazing character. And uh, I-, I asked him if uh, he ever encountered a Dorothy Fuldheim in the locker room when he was here <laughs> in oh. Cleveland back in the day. <laughs> a nice a nice North Coast reference, Ken, for, for those who get it. Yeah. So. Yes, there is that. Hey, Rick, yes. If if I if I could, I got one quick Gaylord Perry story. I'm old enough to have gone to a Met doubleheader uh-huh. in the '60s as a little kid with my father, and that was the time the second game. I think it went 23 innings. And what I remember about that game, two things: Willie Mays played short, and a oh. guy a guy came in and pitched 10 innings of shutout ball in relief against the Mets, and we were all like, "Who the heck is this guy?" And 10 years or, or more later, when Gaylord Perry wrote Me and the Spitter, mm-hmm. Perry yeah. said, the first time I ever threw a spitball was when I played against the Mets in that extra inning game, and I threw 10 shutout innings. That was the first time I ever threw a spitball. Yeah. And I was at that game, and it was the second game of a doubleheader, and my father, being the lunatic Ooh. baseball fan he was, we went there for batting practice, and we stayed for like 32 or 33 innings, whatever it was for that doubleheader. That's oh, a wonderful memory. Wow. Oh. That that baseball that's history incredible. right there. That that's uh, thank you for mentioning that. That is an incredible part of baseball history right there that you got to see. That is yes, and uh, thank you to both of you guys, and certainly thank you to Gayward Perry for everything that he meant to the game of baseball. <laughs> and uh, we yes. will be uh, hopefully uh, here uh, reconvening to do our uh, 2023 preview of the MLB season when the time comes. Our annual tribute to our good friend and late broadcast colleague Don Coster. So. If not before then, I look forward to convening with you guys then. Thank you so much, and thank you everybody for tuning in to FDH Lounge Mini, episode 1554.